0: Structural inflation in the system happens when you have wages and salaries increasing. We're starting to see some signs of it, but I think it's going to get intensified much more in the following months. And that is going to be a change that is really difficult to revert.
1: Welcome back to the Empire's New Clothes. I'm your host, Brad from MacArthur. As a reminder, make sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review Share this as many friends as you can. That's the best way for us to keep doing what we're doing. We're not asking for money just to share and that way we can keep producing this week after week. Um, We're about to speak with Tavi Costa. He's a portfolio member at Prescott Capital. Some of you may be familiar with him. He's really bullish on gold and silver. And the reason being is he has this really interesting framework of how the monetary system works and perhaps a wave of inflation that's coming. So as a note, we don't dive into gold and silver as much as uh, you might be used to with Tavi. We stick with the macro fundamentals of what's driving all these things. So if you wanna learn more about his uh, technical analysis and investment ideas of gold and silver, precious metals and commodities, make sure to check out some of his other things or follow him on Instagram or Twitter. So with that, I hope you enjoy. Tavi, thanks so much for joining today.
0: Well, thanks for having me. Looking forward to this.
1: Yeah, of course. So before we jump into all this big picture, mind bending stuff, maybe just a little background of what brought a fellow like you into finance, and then how'd you end up in Denver? You know, just a bit about your background.
0: Sure, I was born and raised in Brazil. I was always kind of grew up in a with a family that uh, worked uh, uh, in 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 having their own businesses, and so I was very. Dynamically involved in different forms and fashion of of helping their businesses to succeed. And uh, back in twenty, in when I was about fourteen years old, that we had a a pretty big downturn in our business uh, family wise, and so financially we went through a very rough time, um, which was in a, a very fun time for me as a teenager. But that was a great uh part of my life to really ground myself into uh, working hard and learning about uh, finance as a whole and trying to really not only protect capital and learn about uh, the the risk of managing anything but also how to grow money and be successful uh, with your own business so i've always kind of grew up with that mentality and then i um, started playing tennis when i was about 14 years old and had a pretty Crazy dream of moving to the U.S. and uh, to play tennis here, and uh, got recruited to play tennis in college, and so here I am. Um, uh, then I, after I moved here, I, I started to. Uh, I was studying in a school, obviously in uh, Liberty University in Virginia. I finished up college actually in Missouri uh, in a private school there, and then uh, moved to Denver and uh, began my career in finance uh, from you know from the ground up.
1: Cool. So you you went to Virginia to play tennis? Initially? I did
0: actually. Yes. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah. okay. I grew up in Georgia, so you're familiar with some of the uh southern barbecue perhaps. Virginia's a bit on that border there. You you, you can get the good stuff where you might not. So oh,
0: I, I would say uh, it's sort of a vague memory of all that happened in Virginia cuz I was Still learning the language at the time, English was sort of my focus to uh, to be fluent, uh, and so it took me a while to uh, to really even create memories because uh, I was very focused on um, just being able to communicate as a whole and and do well in college. So <laughs> that was uh, a bit of a tough time. Uh, I wish I would have enjoyed more, as as you were saying. I'm sure there's great things to enjoy in there.
1: So. It's interesting. It really sounds like finance was kind of a, um, there's some real personal roots there from your experiences as a kid and why managing money is so important. Now, do you, are there any connections between uh, your experience growing grow up in Brazil and your relationship with the idea of monetary debasement or inflation at all? Like, are there some personal connections there as well, or maybe not so much?
0: sure i've usually tell a story that um i grew up with my parents actually uh, my my dad was i think was in the mid 90s um when the real the brazilian real was uh devaluing uh significantly at the time and uh my dad in order to protect against uh the devaluation of the currency, he was uh, forced to buy tangible asset and the tangible asset at the time that he was able to get his hands on was a motorcycle and he made money on it. So <laughs> similar to now, right? People buying used cars, um, Why buy? My, yeah. he bought a motorcycle and uh, ended up being a great investment at the time, but uh, we had a sort of a, more of a hyperinflation environment than just, you know, whatever type of inflation we're seeing in the U.S., which is tough to measure, but let's call it double digit, um, you know, is much worse than here. But uh, so I, I certainly grew up with the mentality of protecting capital um, and and looking for ways of uh, of of uh, protecting yourself, especially against uh, government policies uh, then not. You know most of them are usually not in your favor. So <laughs> you have to be aware of how, uh, invest accordingly.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Investing in motorcycles generally isn't, uh, a great way to grow your wealth, but in in some environments it certainly can happen. And I can't even imagine the day we have to buy sailboats to save our money. That's the day we know we're hosed <laughs> to invest in some money pets.
0: There's, there's a plenty amount of people buying used cars you know, and uh, to make money, yeah. and uh, I don't know if that's going to work out. I mean, it seems to be a, a bit overdone of what will happen in a used cars world, but who knows, right? I mean, it's just the beginning of uh, uh, inflation becoming the, the prevalent narrative of something we haven't seen, at least in my lifetime, or, or just I've seen in my lifetime in Brazil, but certainly not in my life that i lived in, in the U.S., so... Uh, mm-hmm seems uh, a bit different than any other, and I would say none of the millennials and other generations, younger generations have really grew up with uh, or experienced anything like this. So um, the folks from the 70s certainly do, but we can get into that. It's it's definitely very different than the 70s, what we're seeing today, and my opinion, even more extreme.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd love to, I really want to get into that. But first, um, I'd actually love to learn a little more about uh the process of what happened with the real uh, in the '90s, because i 'm no student of Brazil history, uh, very specifically. I know there's been bouts of inflation over the years, just like a few of the other countries. Um, but could you dive in a little bit more then, like unpack what 's that story with the real um, leading up to it, and then you know, did they implement capital controls? How did they get inflation uh, back on wraps for, for a period?
0: Well, it all starts from when smart money starts leaving a place, and that's why you see hyperinflation and why I think it's such a different scenario to today in the US. But emerging markets usually have much weaker politics, and the leadership um, is is certainly uh, much more corrupted than in developed economies, even though you find corruption anywhere in the world today. And uh, in the '90s, uh, I think one of the, uh, you know, the same patterns were happening. So we had, you know, large corporations leaving, and you know, leaving capital, uh, and and so we're seeing massive capital outflows from major corporations, creating downward pressure on the currency. After you see that, uh, you know, certainly it starts the devaluation part of it. The second part that happens is that most of those emerging markets even though they have a lot of exploration uh, uh, through uh, raw materials and that's the case with Brazil they also import a lot of final products and so when the, their currency the value what you find is is also a, a kind of a, a a cycle a virtual cycle or I, I would say uh, not virtual actually uh, uh, in a way where uh, the import prices of final products increase significantly. And that's where you start seeing inflation in the system and the devaluation of the currency only makes that worse. And, you know, this the especially the policies that we see on the fiscal side in places like that are much more extreme. So helicopter money policies have been in place in Brazil for a real long time, especially for the bottom 50%. You know, in the U.S., that's something new right now, what we're seeing. Maybe not new, but... Uh, you know not as often as you see in those in those other countries um mm-hmm. and so that is really the beginning of 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 the lack of confidence of investors and 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 when inflation becomes the prevalent narrative in those areas and which is w- what happened in the nineties um you start seeing uh you know average people uh, in terms of uh, financially speaking um uh, you know, avoiding to hold cash. And that's what my dad did and what most people do. And, and that uh, exchange of, of, of tangible assets versus uh, cash is what creates a downward, even further pressure on the currency. As you see, you know, then the political environment beginning to deteriorate because as you see inflationary forces rising, you start seeing protests on the street uh, cost of living begins to rise um, it's really a domino effect in a lot of ways and and that in my opinion is is precisely uh, kind of what we're seeing in the u.s right now and uh, I think that the political environment of those emerging markets they get a lot worse and we, we see impeachment and um, you know which was the case in Brazil for instance in the 90s um, then we had to reconstruct the whole monetary system and recreate a whole new currency uh, that was supposedly uh, you know, backed by real international reserves. Um, and uh, and so the redesign of the monetary system takes time, uh, but it happened back in the mid to the end part, of the last part of the the later part of the of the nineties, and that was a very important uh, uh, you know monetary change. That readjusted the problems that we had in the early part of the '90s, uh, but uh, those countries and uh, the society grew up with inflation uh, in 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 their setup, in their scenarios, and so it was certainly uh, uh, it's it's hard to leave uh, uh, that from uh, from from a, you know from a memory perspective, and so a lot of investors and, yeah. and folks have that. Uh, that memory uh you know and and that's that's the issue of the u.s where we haven't really seen you know most of the the younger generations haven't really grew up uh watching the price of consumer prices and and services rise significantly and so um, those are different parts of the the consequences of those disruptions in uh, in the monetary system um so yeah Brazil went through that and then back in um, I would say 2014. We saw that, again, where the president at the time was impeached. And again, a lot of people see this from the lenses of the political environment when actually what, what what happened really was the monetary system began to fail prior to that. And that was what led to the political disorder. And so I've always thought that that was the case. You don't become Venezuela in one year. You know, it's a it's a sequence of actions. That 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 makes uh, hyperinflation become an issue, and Argentina is going towards that in a huge way. Um, you know, we, we already saw money, smart money leaving the country. Uh, we already have a very large socialist with a communist mentality uh, political leadership in place, um, and you know we're starting to see issues with uh, um, uh, not allowing capital to. Uh, to fly freely. Uh, and so all those policies are the beginning of, of something much worse. And so um, you know it concerns me about South America. But South America goes through those issues all the time. And that's why you know fortunately emerging markets never emerge to become developed economies. They, they've always been called emerging markets. And Brazil has been an emerging market since the 90s. So uh, the political system has to develop itself and improve in order to become developed and uh, it's very difficult to see that uh, in a place like Brazil and so I've you know last 10 years just put out last 10 years 8 out of the, out of the 10 we saw devaluation of the real you know and so that is a constant um, um, uh, worry or fear of, of the population of losing uh, uh, purchasing power through the currency the basement that we see in places like emerging markets. So it's something I grew up, you know, becoming very aware of, but also um, I'm seeing some strong signs of that in the U.S. today. Um, You know, how many times have we seen you go to a, you know, a social event and people were talking about inflation. I mean, this is so unusual. You go to a grocery store, or any mall uh, and you see clearly the prices are not the same as they were one or two years ago and now that's that's a fascinating development to me
1: yeah Argentina is always so interesting for me going there the blue dollar where it's better to just bring a bunch of cash and find someone on the street corner you get like a much better exchange rate than going to the atm to get the official rate um and I can only imagine that's in so many other countries, um, but so just staying with emerging markets a little longer here. In your view, what is the the fundamental reason why, as you said, they they've never emerged? Is it corruption? Is it the fact that the, the U.S. dollar, gold reserve currency, so just a smaller economy just is forced to bend to the will of these? larger monetary players, uh, What what is the root cause of that?
0: Uh, look, there's a lot of reasons, but I think the biggest one is, is the mistakes on, in terms of the policies that we see. Usually we see this um, kind of a, a normal thing where uh, politicians want to devalue the currency to increase exports. You know, we see this across... How many, you know, different periods of, of, of uh, uh, developing economies where they were forced to supposedly weaken their currency to be able to make their products more for, more affordable for uh, foreigners. And so um, that policy never, never really works, you know, in the long term. But if you were a president for the next four years, you know, it's indeed what you're probably going to go for. And so, um, I think that those, those are, you know, one of the main reasons why we have such a destructive, uh, period of, of, in, as a cyclicality of improvement followed by destruction, uh, in those, in those countries is, is, uh, I would say very pronounced, but, um, I, I don't know if I would say that those are the, the biggest reasons and the lack of, uh, of, of of especially priority i would say of prioritizing the strength of a currency i mean if if you know if for any country that has you know is is trying to uh look up to a a developed economy and perhaps become one i would start from let's strengthen your currency and allow other businesses and institutions to be able to invest in your place Without having the concerns of the risk of 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 devaluation of your own currency, so that is the major concern for every single you know uh, investment, uh, foreign investment for an emerging market, and so. But none of the you know it's it's not easy to strengthen your currency. That means to become disciplined. That means not increasing debt. That means not printing money. Now, how many countries are willing to go that direction in order to perhaps uh, progress and become a developed economy? Probably not many. So so that's why I think it's so difficult to see that, But, uh, and we're probably not going to see anytime soon. Um, so I think that's the main reason, is the, is the mentality, the short-term mentality aligned with Weakening the currency that creates much deeper problems in the long term, especially with inflation. You know, I mean, the U.S. has, you know, is the U.S. has the the reserve currency status. I mean, it's it's such a huge benefit to have that. I mean, not emerging markets don't have that, and so the volatility created throughout political, uh, news or issues that we have in, in any country through natural, uh, resource issues, or, um, there's so many things that are not outside of the control of any leadership, uh, good or bad. And so it's, it, I think that's, those are the biggest concerns Or um, and and so I don't think we're going to fix those issues anytime soon. I don't see those policies going towards that at all in terms of monetary and fiscal, uh, to uh, to adjust those problems going forward. Again, you know, Brazil and China and some other uh, emerging markets have always been uh, working towards the devaluation of their currencies in order to prop up exports. And so, I find that difficult to change going forward.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty interesting that you focus in on the currency as being one of the one of those core fundamental reasons why there's a failure to emerge. And the risk of outside well, sorry, outside capital has an uh, internal risk of saying oh, I don't know. it might be some issues with the currency. And it's interesting that now in developed markets, that's the main story is the is what are we doing with our currencies? Um, and so maybe that's a good segue of if if you could walk me through perhaps what's your ultimate most fundamental, Framework with how you're seeing the investment environment today, um, you know, in the U.S. in developed markets.
0: Well, I kind of call it the the tale of two destructive outcomes. What we have in the U.S. and one well, that of them is really ha- that, sounds- <laughs> that
1: sounds really happy.
0: <laughs> well, it, it from an investment perspective, there's a lot of. It's not the end of the world. There's a lot of things you could do, but. Mm-hmm. To understand the macro environment, I would start from there, where you got to understand, in my opinion, first, um, where we are in terms of risky assets, in terms of valuations, and what is likely to be the outcome when it comes to uh, monetary and fiscal policies. I think we are on one side seeing the three pillars of inflation um, at all cylinders right now. So basically, the demand poll, number one, which is the money in the sidelines, you can call that, where you have such a large amount of savings uh, that will, in my opinion, be used towards creating a large wave of demand. That's just one. The second one is, is this transfer of wealth from the government to the people. By that I mean the government is literally, uh, the central banks are funding a fiscal stimulus to then give money to people. And we're seeing as a result the largest change in net worth of the bottom 50% of the population in history. And so, sure, um, there is a lot of inequality. And we've seen this throughout, you know, uh, basically across the entire society of the U.S. from the top 50% to the top first uh, percentile and, and so forth. But The bottom 50% coming from Brazil and understanding how the bottom 50% actually reacts when they have money, they start spending. Mm -hmm. And obviously a lot of that has to do with housing prices because the bottom 50% owns about 40% of their assets in real estate. So as real estate prices increase, you see some of that. And you may say, well, what about inflation, Tavi? Well, Inflation is coming now because of that. Because of that increase in uh, in that worth has created consumption. So that's one pillar. The second pillar has to do with the bottlenecks and the supply chains, which was an issue that happened in the 1919 Spanish flu as well. Um, and you now we could have seen this coming. You know, this was a, a large problem back then. That was indeed transitory, but it took another one or two years. The issue with this, in my opinion, is the lack of understanding from economists to what's actually happening in the commodity space or the natural resource space, where we saw a lack of investments um, for over a decade in this space that has been been causing a delay of development of mines and projects uh, in order to explore and and also produce uh, more uh, commodities Especially to, um, in order to to uh, to to create supply for this new change in the green agenda of electrification in the world to go from the old to the new economy, as most politicians and investors like to say, I think that that's a major problem where we're seeing issues along the way uh, with commodities, not only the geological you know difficulties to find commodities, but also uh, the political environment to actually uh, make those projects come to fruition. And no one is investing money in this. Everyone is betting on commodities going higher. There's not much money invested into um, the exploration and production of commodities. Obviously, as money flies, you know, flows into uh, commodity prices, you start seeing that uh, move towards production and exploration because that's what the smart money does. But that change takes a while. It's not one or two years. It takes about five years for you to see a lot of those projects come in line. And so the second part of it, which is related to the cost push idea, has to do with the labor shortage. And some may say, well, that's transitory. But this move towards the, the you know heavy government intervention in order to give money to people that are not working, certainly is creating a a scarcity of of labor, but also skilled labor. Well, look back in the mining industry. If you are a mining company, it's very difficult for you to find skilled labor to mine or drill or explore or do anything in in that industry. That industry has been in a depression since 2011 or so. And so, I believe that there is a lack of understanding of how the commodities uh, market will work in the following years from a supply perspective, which for me is just as attractive as as the demand is. But that is the second pillar of inflation, is where tangible assets rise and create this second large force towards pushing consumer prices higher. And the third one has to do with uh, the monetary debasement, where you can think of the Federal Reserve in two ways. There's really two mandates that they call, right? The inflationary stability, inflation stability, and maximum employment. But at the end of the day, those two, they don't matter at all. Why? Well any person with a brain that looks at the macro data knows that we already reached both of the, both of those goals. The issue is we have a problem with debt. There's too much debt in the economy relative to GDP, which causes and creates a um, some sort of dependency on suppressing interest rates. That is the mandate of the Federal Reserve, to suppress interest rates and allow the government to borrow more money um, at cheaper levels. And, and we can't stop this. And, and that is the whole reason why we're seeing... Corporate earnings at the levels that we're seeing, with retail sales at the levels that we're seeing, but no stoppage from the Federal Reserve on buying at least 120 billion dollars of assets every month, and keeping rates at zero. And so, what are we going to do about this, right? So that's that's one side of the the one I said uh, the, the tail of two destructive outcomes. That's one side. On the other side of it. You have the valuation problem where stock market is at all-time highs relative to fundamentals. You have the housing market heating up to levels we haven't seen before. You have corporate bond markets with the leverage in the system and the corporations. Because of low cost of capital, it's so cheap for you to raise money today. No comp- you know, A lot of companies today uh, don't make any money. What's the percentage of companies in the markets today that are not profitable there's a we've never seen that percentage being so high and so that is the other side of it because the federal reserve has really two two choices it can continue to do what it has been doing at a cost of creating inflationary forces or it can stop it all and create a reckoning moment for a lot of those risky assets that depend on the easy money policies in my opinion they will continue to do they take the inflation route and that is why I believe strongly that what we may see is as cost of live, living begins to rise, what we may see a pressure from especially from workers to um, demanding higher wages and salaries, which is a big reason why we haven't seen inflation, you know, structural inflation in the system happens when you have wages and salaries increasing. We haven't seen that happen yet. And so at least in the last 30 years, I think that's about a change. That's the next protests and, 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 and real um, unraveling uh, this, uh, the social environment, in my opinion, in the U.S., will be all about the rise of wages and salaries. And so we're starting to see some signs of it, but I think it's going to get intensified much more in the following months. And that is going to be a change that is really difficult to revert or reverse. And so, in my opinion, um, we're going to take the route of inflation. And if we take the route of inflation, it's going to change the environment in the markets. From a leadership perspective, from technology companies that don't make any money, cost of capital is going to be more expensive. For you to open a business is going to be a little bit more difficult. Um, that's not the end of the world. There's a lot of opportunities to, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think investors have to be aware of those macro changes in the following following years, given this uh lack of uh of of options from a political environment perspective.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. This morning, I believe I just read that BlackRock has announced they're across the board, or maybe not across the board, directors and below, they're giving everyone an 8% raise because they don't believe inflation is transitory. And they're, what, the largest asset management or something like that. It's So that that's not mom and pop down the corner giving someone a raise. That's a large, that's a big statement from um, a corporation. And so, Thinking about these forces you just laid out really well for us, underneath all that, are we able to find any common denominators or like a central driver? Is it there's just too much debt and kind of all roads lead back to that? Or is there is there a core force that is impacting all these? Look, the, the level of
0: debt is is what a lot of people call it as deflationary and the money velocity declining which really just is, as money supply grows, it takes a lot of units of money supply to create actual growth in the economy. And the levels of debt and knowing that um, a lot of parts of the economy are highly levered today uh, may create a problem with spending and consumption and therefore reinforce this deflationary uh, issues that we see, especially that we saw in the economy recently, so so the, this issue with the the amount of debt that we have in the system, which creates, you know, I think reinforces the idea of deflation that we saw in the last decades. Um, in my opinion, that situation uh, just again uh, emphasizes the idea where. Um, the Federal Reserve has no option but to suppress rates and continue to do that going forward, otherwise the economy goes, goes broke. Um, and the reason why I think that the 70s was even a, a, or today is even more extreme than the 1970s uh, decade um, has to do with that is because there wasn't a lot of debt in the system. Uh, Paul Volcker was able to raise rates to the levels that we saw, double digit rates that we saw back then, because there was no interest, there was no, uh, you know, uh, such a large amount of debt in the system. Also, valuation of companies and risky assets were not even close to where they are today. So there's a real clear danger of fighting inflation at the same time. And what I find funny from all market participants, basically, uh, I would say is that if the Federal Reserve raise rates to 2%, let's say, um, in the following uh, years in order to fight inflation, that is not enough. But they can't do more than that. And so I think that the Federal Reserve has never been so trapped. And from a capital allocator perspective, looking for alternatives to put money to work and worry about losing purchasing power and and capital debasing because of the this uh, the money printing policies we're seeing, I think that that's you know forces you to look for tangible assets, and that's why I believe you know we're entering a period where commodities may benefit, but also create reinforce again the inflationary. Uh, situation and the environment that we saw in the 70s uh, as investors begin to buy commodities more and more uh, that pushes the prices of those higher and will have an impact in other things the other thing that I think it's even more important from an inflationary perspective is um, the deglobalization patterns we're seeing today which yeah it started really when Donald Trump be- it was was uh Actually, running for president, not even when he was he became the president, but he was really changing that narrative, the political narrative or the geopolitical narrative against China, and now we're seeing quite the opposite. China is sort of, um, you know, fighting back to the U.S. and you know we're seeing that as well in, in the Middle East and some other areas with Russia, and the logistics of, of global logistics have been uh, not yet. Uh, you know, have had issues uh, in the last few decades, but that was a major uh, problem in the 70s and the early 90s when oil prices went up significantly because of those geopolitical issues. I think we could see something like that. And usually those trends of deglobalization, they last a long time. And I think that we could probably be entering one too. So you have wages and salaries beginning to rise, in my opinion. You have deglobalization becoming, gaining force. Um, you have the the debt situation that is here to stay, which forces the Fed to, to suppress interest rates and allow everyone to be able to uh, borrow money at cheaper levels. Um, you have the, the money printing in order to accomplish that mission. Um, you have the... the the constraints from a commodity side of of not enough capital being used to explore and produce commodities at the same time as this is massive demand from uh, electrification um, and and different uh, innovations that require uh, those types of metals in order to to proceed in that green agenda, uh, which also goes against other commodities exploration and production, um, and so when you start designing, redesigning the world and with those lenses, I am a little worried that we are, you know, uh, pushing too much towards the inflationary side, and I think we're going to see inflation um, not be transitory as most f- believe. I think it's going to be more persistent. Um, I don't know after that because I think it will depend on the policies. You know, what we saw today was such an important case where Jay Powell basically was not concerned about this at all. He thinks it's going to be yeah. transitory. And that's what concerns me is, is the lack of, 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 of fear towards the rise of inflation. And maybe it's just... Lack of knowledge or or experience living in those environments, certainly not from my side, but from a lot of people, and especially even in the, um, with the role of of running governments, uh, not worry at all about what those policies could could potentially become in the f- in the future.
1: Yeah, I'd like to zero in on that a little bit more, actually, because you mentioned how we handled inflation in the 70s and everyone's quite familiar we had inflation Paul Volcker who is the 70s version of um Jerome Powell he cranked up interest rates super high and then that was able to get inflation under control um cuz it changed the cost of borrowing cost of capital and i think that's a very interesting uh, perspective to keep in mind because as you say we can't do that right now if we raised rates to say ten percent it, it would near blow up the government's budget because the amount of money they'd be spending on interest would be astronomical I believe if it if it goes up three percentage points from now it's the same as the uh, same expenditure as Social security so you just add on a percentage point at on top of that on top of that on top of that it gets huge real quickly we literally couldn't do 28% <laughs> i don't i don't know how much money that would end up being but it's it's insane so there's a big debate right now between is there inflation or de- is there deflation inflationist deflationist but and my question to you is that does it really matter in in one way because if 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 inflation comes which it, it, things are cyclical like inflation, deflation, they come and go. So it would essentially come at some point, whether it's coming now or not. So like, it's a mute argument because we don't have the tool. We don't, we can't raise interest rates. so the only other way to do it would be to jack up taxes. We have such a polarized uh, legislation in Congress. How could you, how could you raise taxes to such a rate to get inflation under control? And so and so, so that's my question is if inflation comes How can we get it under control in in today's environment?
0: Um, I don't think you you necessarily could. It would be a complete reversal from the policies we're seeing today. Um, And your question is, that's why I respect that having two routes and giving probabilities is, look, I don't know what route they're going to take, but I believe inflation Given the fact that we haven't seen inflation in the last three, four decades, even more than that, um, I think that uh, policymakers forget the danger of that. And so um, I think that that's more likely that we're going to see that as a scenario. But I respect the fact that the valuations in equity markets and corporate bond markets and sovereign bond markets and housing market, (laughs) you keep going um are extreme and so I have to look at this with uh, you know again with wearing my hat as an investor and I think there's ways to position yourself in this environment um to your question does it even matter I kind of don't think it matters to a lot of investments uh there are tangible assets that perform well regardless the real question is, for those assets and mostly commodities is can you see the continuation of monetary and fiscal disorder that is the biggest question you have to ask yourself when you when you start stepping towards tangible assets because that's what creates inflation expectation being higher than dividend yields than earnings yields than yields on on corporate bonds on yields on on sovereign bonds um, on you know so many different parts of the economy where uh, financial assets may perform worse than inflation, and that's what creates this need towards tangible assets. It's it's not every time that you want to own those assets, but there are periods of history where inflation expectations begin begin to rise and run hotter than interest rates uh, and other assets yields. And I think those are the times when you want to hold commodities and other things. But again, go back to the dynamics of flowing capital towards those assets and recreating a force that um, also becomes inflationary. So, uh, you know, I respect both sides of the of the coin, but I, I'm, I'm much more positioned on the inflation side.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And at the same time, I think that every investor should be aware of where we are in terms of valuations of equity market. At some point, inflation will begin to bother the growth, the 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 darlings of the of the market, the you know, the growth stock, the software companies, and the ones that really have been doing very well because of top line growth. In other words, revenues and sales have been increasing, and for investors, the best investments in the last decade or so are those that have done and have focused very much so on, um, especially reaching a larger audience from you know uh, from your product uh, standpoint. And so, for me, I think the profitability is going to become a priority again as cost of capital becomes more expensive and margins begin begin to to uh, to squeeze to get squeezed by. Wages and salaries growth, and you can only pass on to the consumer to a certain degree, uh, and so uh, those those dynamics I think will will change the leadership of the market and and, and change as well um, how companies will be successful in the next ten years. You just have to be aware of those changes, and I think we're going through one right now. Um, and, and you've got to be looking for ways of protecting capital and, and growing capital in, in that environment, which could be natural resource companies can do very well. Um, you know, growth stocks only focus solely on growing, um, uh, growing top line or sales may not do very well. Uh, and so I think those are, you know, kind of the focus where I am now answering your question again. I don't I don't think the Federal Reserve can. And will fight inflationary forces anytime soon. I think they're gonna let it, you know, their only option is to allow it to grow more. Uh, perhaps, you know, uh, give a speech a little tougher than we've seen so far in the last few months that may spook the markets. But as they decide not to do anything about it, um, I believe that those pullbacks will become opportunities. And so, Those opportunities with tangible assets rising will become again a problem, and um, I don't think the Fed can taper anytime soon. So I think we're going to be triggering a long-term inflationary problem in the economy here in the U.S., which, uh, as I said before, the last time we saw this was in the 70s and the 1910s, not the 40s. The 40s we saw sporadic increases, not real long-term inflation for the whole decade. And so go back to those times and study what are the assets that best perform during those periods and you'll figure out that, that commodities did very well. So I think just being aware of those, those changes and being aware of, of what the Federal Reserve may do are some of the most relevant parts of any money manager or investor or any person uh, trying to navigate this macro environment.
1: I compl- I completely agree understanding the motivations and di- desires of the fed and those those in power with the levers at their hand um do you do you think that the US needs inflation to inflate its debt away and and the system needs inflation to inflate all this debt away so so do we do we actually need inflation um,
0: it does it's inevitable when you reach this levels of uh, of leverage I think you have to um, it's part of the uh, the leveraging process of any economy um, unless it's going to be created through organic growth which at the levels current levels of debt and how much you need of money supply in order to create growth um, becomes such a challenge to um, uh, to grow organically and so uh yes I think it's uh it's it's an issue um and uh we're you know I don't think I think inflation is is in a way desirable from uh for gro- for governments but uh certainly not the type of inflation we're seeing that creates protest and uh, uh because of the cost of living and uh, um, you know so, And on top of it, you know, just from the political side, you know, the folks that will be becoming the real strength of the economy when it comes to voting will become the millennials. That's just a natural process of things. Millennials, when you think about their memory and what they remember, it's, you know, governments have really not not failed towards them at all in their, in their, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, mindset of, of things. And so it's the private sector that has failed for them. And so that, why am I saying this is because I think because of that, we'll continue to see more, more of a socialist with higher government intervention types of policies going forward, uh, because of this environment, um, And so we may continue to see, you know, helicopter money policies drag on for, for longer, um, you know, with inequality becoming a big part of the agenda um, regardless if it is making the richer uh, suffer from, uh, uh, from levels they're coming from in order to make the poor uh, richer. So I think, I think that it's important to think that way because it's, you also understanding what is likely to occur when it comes to the next political leadership going forward um and so and and by by the government not failing i i obviously disagree because i I've, I've seen what the government did in terms of money printing after the global financial crisis and i understand i would say or at least i try to understand the impacts of that in terms of the speculative bubbles we have in the financial system. And that's not the healthiest way of growing an economy and leading an economy. However, from the average person out there, I don't think that they see that as a problem. And so that's why I I, I believe that uh, those policies were seen as successful in a way. Um, and the private sector, the banks and some other parts of the economy have, were the ones that really um were took on the blame rightly or wrongly. I really don't have an opinion on that. I'm just pointing out what I think the consensus is mm-hmm. among millennials. And so that will continue to be a problem or continue to be um reinforcing again this idea of of a government that is more pro-intervention and larger governments trying to um, hold the hands of of, of households in general um, through different types of policies, some of them very similar to what we've seen throughout the decades in emerging markets or in other decades in the U.S. And so, yeah, I think that's what's going to happen here going forward. Uh, those are the, uh, from a political side and economic side, I think those are... Um, you know what we're likely to see here is is a continuation of uh, of, of this type of political environment, along with uh, with also a lot of uh, uh, more inflation because those policies tend to create that going forward.
1: Yeah, and so we we've got a system of um, unanchored monetary system, a fiat based monetary system. It may have some pretty robust inflation in its near future. If you look forward to what comes after that, have you even thought about that at all? Like, what might the next system look like?
0: Well, you you went through a long period of time of, you know, you think about that. That's why I think the 70s is not the perfect time to, to also be uh, comparing to today, where we saw the break of the gold standard, which was For me, it will mark this lack of discipline era. Um, And what you're saying is, are the consequences of an era or long years and decades of, you know, policies and policies progressively getting larger relative to the damage in the economy. What the world is going to look like, in my opinion, when all this is done with the perspective of inflation is back to discipline, fiscal and monetary discipline. And in my opinion, that's the world where uh, you know you start seeing either a, a currency will be packed to gold or packed to some other source of monetary system we'll see in the future. Maybe it's a cryptocurrency that will be running the show. On that part, on that front, I don't know what it's going to look like. I obviously spend a lot of time thinking and trying to understand what it's going to look like. But yeah. at the same time, I don't think from an investment, uh, from an investor's uh, perspective, and I'm not sure I could even make money on that call as of today. So
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm kind of watching. Yeah.
1: It's a lack of discipline becoming discipline. Um
0: will be will be the big change in my opinion
1: interesting so you you really like commodities for this period and then the next period it's even too far to tell like who who knows what that could look like it would really depend on the type of system that we got is it gold-based is it bitcoin-based is it every 50 years there's a debt jubilee because that's some that's an actual form of anchor as well um, so it's just like too cloudy to see, really.
0: Well, in a world where you have a pegged currency with very high discipline, uh, you know, economic system, you have to be selective with the companies you own. You're not going to see this, you know, how easy it has been for any investor to pick and choose whatever company they want. They wait, wake up next day, it's up in prices, they wake, wake up, you know, that, or they look back a year. And the thing is up 30, 40% and everyone is a genius and rich. That's what's going on right now. Everyone is a genius. Um, in those environments is what you see Great Depression. It's tough to see Great Depression when you can't, when you, when you, when you were allowed to print money. We, we should have seen Great Depression now in, in the last year or so. Um, but the Federal Reserve decided to go full banana and print as much as they did. You know something we haven't seen in a, a real long time, and so I think that's uh, that's the difference. In the 1929 crash, they couldn't print money. You know they wish they could have printed money. There was there was a fight. There was a uh, you know uh, uh, a war basically of 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 different intellectual ideas of printing or not printing money, and that is what creates the Great Depression, the severity of that and the long-lasting effects of uh, downturn in the economy has to do with that too. So, you know, I'm not saying it's a bright world once you get to the other side either. I mean, there's there's other issues to be aware of and the declines will be more severe. But what we're doing now, you know, will create a problem where at some point, everything else is going to have to be reset to normal levels and we all don't know when um but the federal reserve is not getting even close to stopping the party from growing it's like what we're seeing now is is a party where everyone is drunk (laughs) and the federal reserve is just (laughs) continuously to give more alcohol and perhaps my gut to cocaine soon and
1: so you know what a party animal jerome powell is
0: yeah i mean it's that's what it seems like. I mean, it's, um, you know, like I said, everybody is is making money. Uh, I hear from people talking about day trading, crypto trading, um, you know, that, you know, they've been beating Warren Buffett, um, fundamental analysis doesn't matter, you know, and it's, sure, he it hasn't, you know, p- perhaps has been the, the right call for the last year, two, three, four years or so. but. No, that, that won't last. In my opinion, that is also cyclical. And it's it's given the fact that we are we were in this positive deflationary environment that allowed the the Fed to be so um uh so loose in terms of their policies. But now things are changing. And once inflation is is, is starts, it's difficult to uh to reverse that pattern. And in my opinion that's that is really what I'm so focused on because I think that's no one is, is really looking at this as a real problem. And, uh, I am, uh, yeah, that is, you know, I I can't stop thinking about how can I protect myself, but also make money in this environment? Because I think really it's a lot more consistent to history than this transitory propaganda that we're listening to.
1: Yeah. Well, I, you know, you've been so generous with your time. We'll probably wrap it up and I'd uh, encourage listeners who want to hear more of your technical investment um, concepts and ideas on commodities and gold and silver and precious metals. You have a lot of great interviews out there where you really dive into the nuts and bolts of those markets and what y'all do at Crescot Capital. Um, So maybe, but we, you know, we touched on a lot of the macro stuff, which was really fun. So maybe, uh, Explain to me a bit where folks can find more of your work and, um, you know, if they want to learn more about Prescott Capital as well.
0: Oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, well, it's pretty easy on Twitter at Tavi Costa is my handle. You can find me there. I post things almost daily. Um, I'm also very active on even Instagram at Tavi Costa macro. And I put out weekly presentations, say most of most, most weeks, um, of mining companies that we have been investing, and so we explain the thesis behind it. Um, it's mostly exploration companies, so we're really buying a company that has a property which we believe there's commodities in the ground, and um, and then we explain a little bit about our macro views, our recent macro views, um, and so suggest you to go out on YouTube and just type Tavi Costa or type uh Kresket Capital and you'll find it. We we also have letters that we put out with a lot of uh, in-depth analysis in um is the website. Uh and you can check that out
1: too. Awesome. Well you know when when COVID hit and there was like the full lockdown right initially, my wife and I we uh we were told, like, don't go do your sports because you don't want to go to the hospital in case something happens. That was like the government thing at the time where we were. So we bought um, gold pans and we went gold panning for like a week or two, <laughs> which was pretty fun. That was our COVID activity for the first month. <laughs> um, you see? Yeah, you but seem to
0: be more extreme yeah. than I am.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah! I'll send you some nuggets. We no, we didn't really find much. But, <laughs> um, but seriously, Tavi, thank you so much for joining. It it's been really awesome to pick your brain and hear a lot of your um just the way that you look at the world and in the investing environment.
0: Well, it was my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity.
1: Thank you for watching to the very end. If you like our content, make sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review. It is the best way to help us reach the most people possible. And that way we can keep producing content every week. Make sure to drop a comment below of who you'd like us to interview next. And we look forward to seeing you next week.